Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, I don't know if, if you guys were here last week, but man, I thought Justin did an amazing job delivering the word. Amen. And uh, man, if you still want some information about community groups, and we call them growth groups here and all that kind of stuff, uh, Pastor Justin, you saw him earlier, uh, you know what he looks like, please contact him. We'll get you plugged in as soon as we can. But uh, you know, last week it was kind of cool how Justin took Acts chapter 2 and beginning there in verse 42 and kind of walked us through that text. Uh, as I was thinking about this, uh, the Lord actually took me to Acts 22, uh, Acts 2, 22 through 41. So I'm going to preach the text before the text that Justin preached last week, and we're going to talk about some things this morning. Um, one of the things that gets people charged up is the topic of baptism. I don't know if y'all know that or not. <laughs> I mean, who should be baptized? Should babies be baptized? Who should do the baptizing? Does it matter that we're baptized? Well, today I'm just going to dive in and we're going to talk about biblical baptism. So I want you to kind of set aside uh, what you may think I'm going to say from a denominational side or from a religious side. Uh, we're just going to simply talk about what the Bible says about baptism and kind of let the Bible have the, the last word, if that's okay. The Bible talks about baptism no less than 74 times. So if I'm going to look to learn what baptism is, I'm probably going to go there because it kind of gives us information. And after teaching about baptism today, today's a special day because I'm going to invite anyone who wants to respond to this message to be baptized today, immediately. And I know some of you weren't expecting that when you came to church this morning. Probably the thought of being baptized today hadn't crossed your mind. But I really want to show you that that's the norm that happened in a New Testament church. People didn't expect to be baptized, went to church, heard the word, then were baptized. It's just what the norm is. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read 22 through 41. I'll just kind of give you some context there of kind of where I'm headed today. That's why we read a few more verses. But Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching a message to a crowd of about seven, uh, several thousand Jews, and he's convincing them that they'd been wrong about Jesus, that they'd killed him thinking that they were getting rid of a public nuisance. But really what's going on is that in reality, Jesus was dying for their sins, and this was proven by the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's kind of the gist of where Peter's headed this morning, but I want you to hear it from him and from the Word of God instead of me. So in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, I'm going to read, and as our, our custom here is we want to honor when God is speaking from his Word, so would you stand with me as we read this? It says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again. And putting an end to their agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. 
For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exulted over my flesh, also will live in hope, because you will not allow my soul to Hades, you know, not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent. And each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who received his word were baptized. And that day, that day, were added about 3,000 souls. You can be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. That word pierced in verse 37, if you looked at that, it said, and so they heard this, they were pierced into their heart. Pierced means to be convicted. It means their hearts were deeply penetrated. That's wild to me that 3,000 people decided in that moment to be baptized as followers of Jesus because of the message they heard about him. That's 3,000 people who, when they woke up that morning, had no expectation of being baptized that day. They hadn't dressed for it. They hadn't invited in their relatives for it. They hadn't made any calls or prepared for it. They just simply heard the word and were immediately baptized. Peter drew a line in the sand in regards to Jesus, and they knew which side they wanted to be on. The Bible says that they were cut to the heart, and their lives were changed right there on the spot. And so they were baptized immediately to show that. If you read the book of Acts, you're going to see the same scenario play out over and over. I don't have the time today, but I do want to give you a snapshot that I'm not crazy for doing what I'm doing because I want to do the book. I don't have time to take you through the entire book of Acts, but we're going to try to take you to a few places. Over in Acts chapter 8, an Ethiopian government official is riding along in his chariot. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. He's confused when the Spirit of God directs a guy named Philip to join him in a chariot and explain to him that Isaiah's prophecy is all about Jesus. The eunuch comes convinced about who Jesus really is, that he's the Messiah, came to save him from his sins, and without prepping, without any hesitation, the man is then baptized. But please, please realize and know this, it's only after knowing who Jesus is and receiving Jesus as his Savior, then immediately he was baptized. 
In Acts chapter 8, we read about it. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he preached who? He preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road, and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot stop, and they both went where? Down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. That's the pattern in Acts chapter 9. A man named Saul gets confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. This was a man who up to that moment was completely opposed to Christianity. He literally infiltrated Christian circles and took them to jail or even murdered them. But then one day when he was not expecting, he met Jesus. He heard about Jesus from Jesus. And on that day, he trusted Jesus. Jesus completely blows him away and opens his eyes to who he really is. And the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, tells a disciple named Ananias to get involved. We pick up in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like fish scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight, and he got up and was what? He was baptized. He then took food and was strengthened. Again, no long theology class, no period of proving himself, and it even took precedence over lunch. It shows you that it was really important. Couldn't have been a Baptist church at that time. Paul had been pierced to the heart with the gospel of Jesus and was immediately baptized. Acts chapter 16, we're told the story of an influential businesswoman named Lydia. She was an up-and-coming female entrepreneur who attended one of Paul's evangelistic small group Bible studies, I would call it. In Acts chapter 16, it says this, in verse 14 and 15, a woman named Lydia was listening she was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of Thyatira and a worshiper of God. That's interesting. But the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul, which was the gospel. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful, come to my house. And she prevailed upon us. Again, her heart was opened to the message of Jesus. And then she immediately was baptized. Acts chapter 18, we read about a, name, a man named Crispus, a religious leader in the Jewish community of Corinth, a man who thought he had it all together, a man whom everybody else assumed had it all together, but he encounters Jesus through Paul's preaching and realized that his religious upbringing is not good enough and his life is undone and he needs Jesus, not religion. In Acts chapter 18, verse 8, it says, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Christians, as they listened to Paul, were believing in what? Being baptized. He heard the message, the gospel of Jesus. It penetrated his heart. He believed with all of his heart. And then as a confession of faith, he was immediately baptized. Are you noticing the pattern? In Acts, I can't find a single baptism that was not immediate, unplanned for, and spontaneous. It's just not there. I know this isn't how y'all grew up doing baptisms or how we do them currently. You schedule it, you plan it, just like we did with these others, and that's fine because we're still obeying the Lord. But there, there can be value in waiting sometimes. But I'm telling you the typical pattern of the church is that when you wouldn't want to make a confession of faith, you didn't walk an aisle, you went to the baptistry. That's how you publicly testified to your faith. It's going to make sense in a minute why that was the case. But that's how it was in the early church. So I want to go back to this first baptism in Acts. 
And I want to look at what Peter said to them and then what it was he said to them and then what they did as a result of what he said to them. And then I'm going to simply offer you the opportunity to be baptized just like they were just to do the book. So what is biblical baptism? That's a big question. And I mean biblical baptism. I didn't say Southern Baptist baptism. What is biblical baptism? And we got to talk about that. What is that? Well, let's talk about it this way. First of all, receiving Christ as Lord happens before biblical baptism. Receiving Christ as Lord, full cognition of what that means, happens before biblical baptism. Go back to Acts 2.37. Now, when they heard this, the gospel about the Messiah, that he was crucified and buried and raised again for the forgiveness of people's sins, they were pierced to the heart, and they said, brothers, what shall we do? We have to ask, what cut them to the heart? There are two things that Peter said that cut them to the heart that actually help us know how to receive Christ as Lord. The first one is this, to receive Christ, I have to repent of my untrue definition of Jesus. To receive Christ as Lord, I have to repent of my untrue definition of Jesus. You see, at this time in history, there were a number of different theories floating around about Jesus. Some of those theories were fueled by what they wanted Jesus to be. Some wanted him to be just a prophet, calling people back to religion and tradition. Others wanted him to be a political messiah so that he would deliver them from oppression and overturn the corrupt Roman Empire. We've got a whole lot of people in America who want Jesus to take over the elections. We've got a whole lot of people who just want Jesus to say, hey, everybody can just believe whatever and let's just all get along because we just believe in this same Jesus. But that is not what Jesus would do. Jesus would not conform to their expectations. He kept doing things that blew up their categories for even who he was. Jesus forgave people's sins, something the Jews thought was blasphemous. He let people worship him. He let people bow down before him. He claimed that he was replacing the temple as the center for worship. He demanded absolute lordship from his followers. And he said he would have to be important, more important to, to he would have to be more important than, than people's fathers, their mothers, their husbands, their wives, or even their own children. If you choose to follow me, Jesus says, I have to be in first place. And people started saying, well, man, it's like you think you're God or something. And Jesus is like, you're right. Not only do I think it, I know it, I am. Because he said, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And what's, what's more important, he says, I'm on a rescue mission to save people from their sin. And the only way anybody will ever get to heaven and to the Father is through what I am going to do. And people are like, Jesus, we like you. But you have to be quiet about all this God and lordship stuff. You just, you got to quiet down. You just can't say that out loud. And he wouldn't, so they crucified him. And then Peter said, by the resurrection, God overturned their verdict. In Acts 2.36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, meaning Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Lord, it means God. He's not a religious prophet. He's the creator of the universe. He's Messiah. Messiah means basically the one who fulfilled all the promises about salvation. You see, there's only one Messiah. 
There's not one way among many to be saved. There's only one gate, and Jesus is that gate. There's only one name given among men by which we must be made right with God, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Peter said, you had your opinion about Jesus, but God overruled your opinion by the resurrection. Listen, when you've got two people, three people, four people, five people, 20 people in an argument about religion and about who is right, listen, I'm going with the guy who rose from the dead. I'm going with that guy. And so if you're going to receive Christ as Lord, you have to repent from any untrue definition of who you think he is. In the same way, many of us today have something we want Jesus to be or something we expect Jesus to be. Today, it's convenient for us to think of him of just a great religious teacher. Some will look at him and want him to be the social justice warrior. Some want to believe Jesus was just a great moral influence. I mean, that's where we got Western morality from. I mean, think about the golden rule. We, we know that because of Jesus. Some say he's one of the many ways to know God or to get to God. But for many in church, listen, for many of you sitting here listening to the sound of my voice, Jesus is simply a get out of hell free card for you, and that's it. He's someone who saved you from your sins, but he doesn't have any other impact on the decisions in your life. For many today in church, Jesus is just a religious rabbit foot or a good luck charm that you turn to when life gets hard. But listen, Jesus will not allow himself to be relegated to our untrue definitions of who he was. I read in an interview with, with Bono a, a while back, and in the interview, the subject of Jesus come up, and this is on a public news station, and this most fascinating conversation comes, and I guess Bono was, was just in a truth mood. Because here's what Bono said. He said this, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying a prophet. I'm saying I'm God in the flesh. And people say, no, no, please just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. You're a bit eccentric, but we had... We've had John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey, so we can handle that, but, but not God, not the Messiah, because you know we're going to have to crucify you if you say that. And he goes on, no, no, I actually, I am the Messiah. And at this point, everyone starts staring at their shoes and, and says, oh my God, he's going to keep saying this. So you're left with either Christ was who he said he was, God incarnate, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson, and I'm not joking here. And the idea that the entire course of civilization for over half a globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's a little far-fetched. And that is exactly right. That's exactly what Peter's saying. Jesus claimed to be both Lord and Messiah, and we have tried to redefine him, but he will not have that. So listen, it's either this, Jesus is Lord, and you're going to crucify him for saying that, or you're going to come and be crucified with him and accept him as Lord. There are no other choices. You've got to choose. Is Jesus who he says he is or who you say he is? You have to put away this redefinition game with Jesus where you get to refashion him to suit your needs. So let me ask you, who do you say this Jesus is? In your own heart this morning, who do you say that he is? 
Because either this morning you've received him and submitted to him as Lord of your life and Messiah, or you are constantly right now rejecting him. There is no other option open. To receive him as Lord means you surrender completely to him. In every single person's heart, in every heart right now, in every heart that I'm looking at right now, there are two things right now in your heart. One of two things. There is a throne in your heart with you sitting on it, or there is a throne in your heart with Jesus sitting on it. Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? To make Jesus Lord means you get up off your throne and you put Jesus on that throne. There is no other way. There's no such thing as a partial surrender. Like, Jesus, you can have half of it. Like, like we'll kind of share this thing until I can kind of trust you. And how it works. You can't be partially pregnant. Either you are or you're not. You get that. I'm trying to tell you, greater science says there's only one Lord, and either he's the Lord of your life or he's not. You can't partially be in with Jesus. To receive him as Lord means you believe he is the only hope of your salvation from your sins. So who do you say he is? Have you received the Lord as Messiah, Savior from your sin? And be honest enough this morning to really tell yourself what you believe, because I'm telling you, you can't go to the mall and have a bill to bear Jesus. You can't just pick what you like about Jesus and put together a little happy bear Jesus that's going to make you happy that you get to play with. Ain't no such thing as a build to bear Jesus. He is Lord, and he is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. That's what you're going to say. And I'm telling you today, Acts 4.12 says it this way. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. They were cut to the heart because they realized that they had been wrong about their definition of Jesus and they had to receive him as he was. So listen, to receive Christ, and I have to repent of my, my untrue definition of Jesus, but secondly, to receive Christ, I have to understand that I am responsible for the death of Jesus. And I am, you are, responsible for the death of Jesus. A couple of different times in verse 23 and 36, Peter points to the crowd and says, you killed him. You nailed him to the cross. You killed him. Now this has at times tragically been used anti-Semitically, claiming the Jews killed Christ and that they should be held responsible for it. But that's a very poor understanding of Peter's meaning. First, Peter says, you crucified him. He was speaking about the whole human race, not just that crowd. He's really looking at all of us this morning in this room and online and listening by way of radio. And he's saying, listen, you and I killed Jesus. In verse 39, he says this, this is about you, your children and those who are far off, people and countries all around the world that haven't even been born yet. Peter can't be talking about one set of people and then open it up to another set of people. He's talking about all of us. Second, when Peter says you nailed him to a cross and you crucified him, Peter was saying, I'm included in that number. Because you see, on the night that Jesus was crucified, Peter denied him three times. In Luke 22, it tells us immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
Jesus turned straight around and looked at Peter, and Jesus' face by that point would have been purple, bruised with blood and spit dripping down. And Peter realized in that moment that Jesus was being beaten for his betrayal. He was cut to the heart, and the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. You see, you and I are cut to the heart and can receive Jesus as Lord when we realize that it was our sin, our personal sin, that put Jesus on the cross. When you see Jesus looking at you this morning, know that it's your refusal to submit to his authority. It's your rebellious attitude towards your parents. It's your insistence to always do things your way. It's your sexual sin. It's my lies. It's my evil thoughts. It's your lies and evil thoughts. It was for my refusal and your refusal to trust him and obey him. It's for my shame confessing him before my friends for fear of what they might say. It's for all the times that you put money and praise of people above pleasing him. It's for all those times that we vent the truth to protect ourselves. It's for our ungratefulness. It's our pride in thinking that our way is better than his way. It's for our selfishness. It's for our love of gossip and and sensitivity to people's needs around us. You see, you come to see with Isaiah that Jesus was wounded for your transgressions and your sins. And suddenly you come to see the person you've been sinning against your entire life has been none other than the person of Jesus. You see, before you have been pierced to the heart, before you receive Christ as Lord, you say things like this. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. But after you've been pierced, you see that you are a worm and deserve nothing but God's judgment. When you are cut to the heart, sin becomes less about breaking God's rules and more about that you have broken God's heart. Before you were cut, you were the prodigal who said, I don't want you, God. I hate the rules in your house. There's more pleasure for me out in the far country. But when you have been pierced to the heart, you come running, begging for mercy. Have you ever been cut this way? Have you ever been pierced in your heart over your own personal sin? Beloved, I'm telling you, I know we're running out of time, and I'm telling you very quickly, I wasn't raised in the church. I was 20 years of age. I was overseas in the military in a place called Wilfleck in Germany. And I was in a little church, and they were preaching the gospel. Never heard such things before. The man was preaching the gospel, and I thought he was mad at me. All I knew at the end is he gave an invitation like I'm going to give today. And he said, if anybody wants to repent of their sin and trust Jesus and be saved, come see me. I was so scared. I didn't do it. I was the only one left in the room, and as I was standing there, everybody else had left. This this impression came upon me, and God literally drove me to my knees, and and I got down on the floor, and I was on my knees, and I was just weeping, and I was weeping over my sin and over who I was and over who I said I'd never become, and I was becoming all those things, and the floor began to get really hot, and it looked as if and felt as if the floor was going to open, and I was going to ascend into the depths of hell, and I knew that's where I was headed. I knew that's what I deserved because my heart was being broken because I had heard the truth about my sin and Jesus, but I did not know what to do. So I went home and I saw my, myself in the mirror for the first time as somebody who God deeply loved, but who was separated from that love because of my sin. And all I knew to do, all I knew to do, all I could even think to do was just say, Jesus, Jesus, 
Jesus, have mercy on me. Have you ever been pierced to the heart? It's like the old hymn, right? Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not, my Lord was crucified. But then another hymn says, My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins, his blood had spilt, and helped to nail him there. Has this ever happened to you? I'm not asking you, have you ever walked an aisle? I'm not asking you, have you ever prayed a prayer? I'm asking you, have you ever been cut to your heart over your sin and realized that Jesus was your only hope of forgiveness? If that has never happened to you today, I'm telling you, if the Spirit of God is moving in your heart, in just a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to recall out to God like those people did to be saved and then to join me in this tub to be baptized as profession of that faith. Salvation occurs when you are personally convicted of your sins and you run to Jesus for forgiveness and desire for him to be the Lord. Your parents can't do this for you. Religious ceremonies can't do this for you. Only conviction of sin and forgiveness through Christ can do this. So listen, receiving Christ as Lord happens before biblical baptism. But secondly, biblical baptism happens as a response to receiving Christ as Lord. What did the Bible say that those who had been pierced and received the gospels, or what did they do? And once they had been pierced, what had they to do? In Acts 2.41, it says this. So then those who had received his word were what? I mean, this isn't rocket science, right, folks? So when you are saved, when, when that piercing comes over your heart, you don't have to wait. You don't have to come down and pray some kind of, you don't have to do that. You just can immediately go and be baptized. And we're going to lead you and give you a process today to help that make sense. But they were baptized immediately. So let me give you some things to make sure that we're clear on what's going on over here if we do this. First of all, let's talk about the method of baptism. The method of baptism. At Mark 1, 9 through 10. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately... Coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. Just need you to know something here. When it says Jesus came from Nazareth to be baptized by John in the Jordan, Jesus walked 60 miles to be baptized. I think you could walk 30 feet to be baptized. And it doesn't say that he came near the Jordan doesn't say that he came by the Jordan. It says they went down into the Jordan. And then it says they came up out of the Jordan. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that Jesus was baptized by full immersion. The body went under the water because that's the biblical method of baptism. John 3.23, the Bible says this. Now John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was an abundance of water there. And people were coming and being baptized. Listen, if you don't need a lot of water to be baptized, why do they need a whole lot of water? Because um, hang with me, we're going somewhere. Why was John there? Because there was much water. It was, it was, if there was another method that would have been acceptable, they wouldn't have had to have used much water. But when you see that word baptism, know that it literally means to submerge, to completely put under, to immerse. This is not a Baptist thing. This is not a Methodist thing. This is not a Catholic thing. This is a biblical thing. Baptizo describes ships that sank. 
dishes that went under the water, garments that went into a dye and completely changed their color. There must be a lot of water when you're talking about baptism. Why? Because you have to go down into the water and come out of the water for it to be the biblical mode of baptism. You're saying, well, you're wanting to start a war. No, I'm not. I'm just hang with me. The method is incredibly important because the method is necessary to the meaning and the meaning will dictate the method. Don't miss this. If we don't do it the right way, we don't understand the meaning of it. And if we don't do it the right way, others won't understand the meaning of it because the method and the meaning are so closely woven together, you cannot separate them. So that leads me to talk about the meaning of baptism. Romans chapter 6, 4 through 8, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism and death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we may walk in the newness of life. You heard me saying that over those people. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him and that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we no longer be slaves of sin. For the one who has died is free from sin. For if we have died with Christ, we also believe that we shall live with him. The meaning of baptism is that it pictures the saving work of Jesus. It pictures a death, a burial, and a resurrection. Baptism is a picture of the gospel that somebody has believed. What is the gospel? Very quickly, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I handed down to you as first of importance, which I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that what? He raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures. What does baptism picture? It pictures the gospel. Why is the method important? Because the method is tied to and illustrates the meaning. So why would the enemy try to offer other methods and get rid of this method or think that we're just whatever being crazy because we hold the one true method? Because listen, if you get rid of biblical immersion being the method, you also get rid of the meaning of the gospel. You see, if you asked to see a picture of my wife, Rachel, and I pulled you out a picture of my motorcycle, you'd probably have some things to say to me for sure, but you'd be a little confused. You wouldn't know what my wife really looks like. The same is true for baptism. If we don't show the right picture, people don't know what the gospel looks like. Well, you could say, well, it really doesn't matter how we do it. Well, then just ask my wife what she thinks about if it doesn't matter what picture I show when I'm trying to show the picture of my wife. If my wife demands that when you ask for a picture of her, I show you a picture of her, wouldn't it stand that if God wanted to show the picture of his son, we'd show the right picture of his son? God wants his son to be incredibly clear when we present him to the world. Think about it. Would you change the Lord's Supper into brisket and Dr. Pepper? No, because you understand that those symbols of bread and wine are tied to the very meaning of Jesus. You would never do that. So why would we want to change the method of baptism when it's been clearly given? For convenience sake, or I could go on. Baptism means an immersion. The word itself means to completely immerse. It's a picture of a death, burial, and a resurrection. If you change the method, you also have to change its meaning. 
The Romans passage we looked at tells us that when we're baptized, we're not only declaring that Jesus has died, been buried and raised, but we will as well. We've died to ourselves and make Jesus the Lord of our lives. We've been buried and hidden in him. His, his blood has covered us completely and we have been raised to walk in the newness of life and we'll be with God in heaven. Biblical baptism of a, of, of a follower of Jesus Christ is where you are saying, I believe that I have died with Christ, I've been buried with Christ and I'm raised with Christ. That's why it is so critically important that we do it the way that we do it. The early church didn't have an aisle. The early church didn't know anything about the stuff that we do. To follow Christ when they met in a home meant that you confess your faith publicly through the baptistry. That's what you did. That leads to the members of baptism. So if you're baptized before you've been saved, it's kind of like having your funeral before you die. Or basically, it's just you got wet. I don't know any way to say it. Baptism pictures your death. If you've never yet died, you're false advertising. Baptism always follows, as mentioned earlier, it always follows salvation. So the people who can be baptized, listen carefully this morning, Anybody in this room, listen to me. The only people that we're going to allow to be baptized are the people that can truly tell us you have trusted Jesus and repented of your sins. So the members of baptism don't affect the meaning of the method, but it always affects the timing. Because belief always precedes baptism in the Bible. So then that's your question. Can babies be baptized? Babies can't believe. Babies can't be saved. Therefore, they can't be baptized. Because baptism doesn't save you. Baptism shows that you are saved. So you have to receive and believe the gospel first. In Acts 8, 12, but when they believed Philip, he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. Both men and women were being baptized. They believed they were baptized. Acts chapter 10, verse 46 and 47. They were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter responded, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who can receive the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can't, can he? I mean, you, you've heard and you believe the gospel. Now, why would we hold water from you to be baptized? A jailer gets saved because Peter and Silas share the gospel with him. They're in prison and he asks, what must he do to be saved? Acts 16, 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him together with all who were in his house. So everybody had to believe. And he took them that very night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was what? He was baptized. Belief comes before baptism. That was the point of the message today, right? Baptism says the old Steve has died. I'm dead to this world. I've been buried. I've been hidden in Christ. Just as Christ arose, so too I. Goodbye, old Steve, and hello new. That's what baptism says. That leads me to the motive of baptism, and we are going to land this plane. So this morning, why in the world would you want to be baptized? A couple of reasons. You have a master to confess. When you're baptized in the name and the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what you are doing is taking on the name of Christ. When you become baptized, then you are called a Christian, a little Christ. And by saying that you are now a little Christ doesn't mean that you're the big Christ. It means that you're following the big Christ. 
You take on his name because you now have a new master that you are going to obey. Romans 6.6 said it, that our old self was crucified so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You see, before coming to Christ, my master is myself and sin. When I come to Christ, my master now is my savior. Sin and Satan don't rule me. Jesus does. I'm a new person. I got a new master and I'm identifying with Christ and I'm not ashamed of Christ. So it tells us that we have a master to confess. Again, Jesus walked 60 miles to get baptized in obedience to his father. Because he had a master he was confessing. I have a message to convey. We've covered that already. But let me just quickly add that every time somebody is baptized, they communicate the gospel. Did you know that? You let everyone know the gospel. You have a method to copy. Jesus was baptized to show you how to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said, I'm going to show you that the only way somebody can be made right is through my death, burial, and resurrection. So you're going to want to copy his method and be baptized to fulfill all righteousness in your life. If it was good enough for Jesus, probably good enough for you and me. I have a mandate to complete. Matthew 28, 19, 20 tells us to go make disciples and baptize them. And then he says, teach them to follow all that I've commanded you. Being baptized is what Jesus has commanded. So listen, if you've been saved but never baptized, you're living in disobedience. I thought Jesus was Lord. Baptism is not a requirement for your salvation. Jesus is. But it is related to your joy. Let me just tell you something, folks. The, the Bible teaches us that God will give us more light as we walk in the light that he's already given us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here and you have never yet to be baptized and you're wanting God to show you something in his word, but yet you haven't followed the thing that he's already told you in his word, you can forget it. And that's probably why you're miserable. Because joy is tied to obedience. And Jesus said to be baptized... Baptism is not the experience of being saved. It is the expression of having been saved. So what is the response? The immediate response of those who were pierced and received salvation, what was their immediate response? It was baptism. So then let me help you just for a few moments. I want to speak to five groups of people right now before we do this. If some of you have to go, please wait to the invitation at least because I might be speaking to you. The first group I want to speak to this morning is you've never been saved and you've never been baptized. You've never become a follower of Jesus. You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So this morning, in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to come down to this altar and pray with me to receive Jesus. You're then going to go be changed. There's some bathrooms out here, and then we're going to baptize you. But first, I need to lead you to the Lord. I'm going to ask you to make the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. I'm going to ask you to surrender to Jesus and then be immediately baptized. Second group, you've never been saved, but you have been baptized. Some of you maybe got into a pool of water, a river, a lake, a baptistry. You, you were even immersed. You were technically baptized, but you were never truly baptized. Baptism is only for true believers. You simply got wet. And so some of you struggle with this all of your life. 
you got baptized because it made your family feel good or a friend or you wanted to do it because that's what the church said you had to do. And so there you, th- or you think that you're good with God because you were baptized. See, you've heard this morning what the Bible has to say. So I'm asking you today to come be saved and then truly be baptized. Group number three, you've never been saved, but you've been sprinkled or you've been christened. You were sprinkled as a baby and maybe christened later. Yet you've never been born again and trusted Jesus to save you by trusting in his salvation. So I'm calling you to truly be saved and then to be baptized as a result. Number four, you have been saved, but you've never been baptized. You're a Christian, you've accepted Jesus, but you've not taken this stuff. And there may be many reasons that you've not been baptized, but can I tell you today, There's no such thing as a believer who's in a right relationship with the Lord who hasn't been baptized. Group number five. You've been baptized, but then you later got saved, but you haven't been truly baptized. You're the person who may have been baptized in a church, and at some point you generally receive Christ and you're saved. You've been asking, should I then be re-baptized? Well, here's the misnomer. You weren't baptized to begin with. You just got wet, so you need to be truly baptized. The answer is you're never baptized the first time. Remember, baptism always comes after salvation. So today, come and be baptized. So if I'm you, I'm thinking about this point. Some excuses start coming to my mind about why I wouldn't be baptized. Well, I don't think it's important. I don't need to be baptized to love Jesus and follow him. Well, do you really know that this is a command of Jesus? So which of his commands do you think you can set aside? Well, I ain't got no clothes with me, Pastor. Well, just a moment, you're going to go out those doors, you're going to go down the hallway, and you're going to see the men's and women's restroom, and there's a table there, and guess what it has on there? It has clothes, I've got underwear, I've got sports bras, I've got towels, I've got the, I've got the jam. All you got to do is just go follow. And then if we run out of clothes, I promise you the ones you got, they wash really well. My family and friends aren't here to see this. Well, listen, we're going to be taking pictures. We can take your picture. Give us your camera. We'll take the picture for you. If you don't have a phone with a camera on it, you're in the dark ages, but it's okay. We're going to get it for you. But just remember, those people that were in the Bible that got baptized, their relatives weren't there either, and they didn't have cameras either. Well, I rode with people. They don't want to wait. I'm taking a huge risk here, but would anybody be willing to wait for somebody if they wanted to be baptized? I've got at least 15, 20, 25. I've got got about 50 drivers in the room. They'll get you home. I'm not sure I'm ready. I still have some questions. Great. There'll be counselors up here in the front that'll help you with those questions. I want somebody to come with me. Is there anybody in the room that'd be willing to go with somebody if they wanted to be baptized? Those same people that are going to drive you home, they they want to be up here to help you get baptized. I was baptized as a child. Well, there are 27 baptisms in the book of Acts, and all 27 of them happened as they had been saved first. I don't want to shame my parents. You won't shame your parents. You're truly going to fulfill all their hopes, I promise you. It's embarrassing to get wet in front of everybody. It was probably embarrassing to hang naked on a cross, too. I don't want to become a Baptist. 
Well, if you don't want to become a Baptist, I don't want you to either. But this ain't about you becoming a Baptist. This is about you becoming a follower of Jesus. So will you come today? Will you join those four today? But more importantly, first of all, would you come to Christ? If your heart has been uniquely, strangely wooed this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. So band, would you come? And then church, would you stand to your feet and would you listen very carefully to my instructions? I want to do this in three stages. So if you're within the sound of my voice, I want you to listen carefully to me. If you have never been saved, and today your heart has been pierced about Jesus and this gospel, and you want forgiveness of your sins, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to come down to this altar right here in the front. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to receive Christ. And then after that, I'm going to let you go to those bathrooms back there to be changed and to come right over here and to line up to be baptized. There'll be some men over here asking you some questions. There's going to be some Bibles over there for you if you need them. But some of you were saved before today, but yet you've never taken this step. When those who are going to pray to receive Christ come forward, I want you to come forward at the same time. And I want you just to make sure when we're praying that you truly believe this gospel that we are given. Now, believer, I want you to be sensitive in just a moment because we're going to start singing and I'm going to wait for people to come down. And as they're coming down, there may be somebody who's just afraid to go by themselves. You might want to lean over and say, hey, if you want to go, I'll go with you. So let's pray. Let's sing you need the Lord Jesus or you want to be baptized because you have trusted Jesus, clearly trusted Jesus, I'm going to ask you right now in this moment when the band begins to sing, would you just come and wait right here and then in a moment I'll lead you in a prayer. So Nathan, let's start singing. Let's see.